In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or on your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy, they're going to get accountability, they're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 74 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, you got any number 74s for me? 74. I'm I'm thinking mostly offensive linemen. Um, Maybe a few hockey defensemen. Not really much (laughs) of a baseball number. You got got any baseball 74s other than maybe... uh, uh, non-roster invitees in spring training? There are two. And, uh, you know, uh, Andel Gustave, that doesn't make me laugh. That's just, you know, he's a solid, uh, uh, hard thrower. You know, maybe he's got a future in the bullpen for the future Giants. He had number 74 last year. But my favorite one, the one that makes me laugh, is the idea of Joe Nathan on the 2016 San Francisco Giants, which I always, always forget about. Yes, yes. I actually walked up to him and I said, Joe, I, I, you seem like a good guy, so I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but thank you for being here because I never thought I would get to cover a player who was older than me again. And <laughs> un, until the Giants sign Bartolo Colon, he will be the last, the last player who was, he's, he's like three weeks older than me. Uh, so yeah, that was it. I've officially crossed the Rubicon. Yeah, I'm, I'd, I'd keep looking to see anyone signed Fernando Rodney yet? Anyone signed Fernando Rodney yet? I mean, that that's where I'm at. But yeah, I mean, the idea, so Joe Nathan uh, had a 0.00 ERA in 2016. Uh, he struck out five in four and a third innings. Uh, would he have... Led the Giants to the World Series that year. I mean, it's entirely possible. <laughs> uh, no, I, I just remember they were grabbing everybody. They were grasping at straws. I mean, the the bullpen was just a complete mess. Um, couldn't find confidence in anybody. And uh, and yeah, we got we got an, an extra an extra couple of weeks of Joe Nathan. So and then he got hurt. I forget what happened, but but he ended up tweaking something as That's as right. as seventy as octogenarians will do from time to time. <laughs> But uh, yeah, 72, uh, 73, Joe Nathan. I, I, I did not realize that that was his number. No, 74, 70, oh, 73, 74, 74. There actually isn't a 73. I, there's just no 73 in Giants history other than that's the number of home runs Barry Bonds hit in 2001. Uh, so it's it's 74 now. And then we're really going to have to search for 75. Not sure, not sure what we'll get there. Wow. Yeah. Anderson uh, uh, Franco. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's who yeah. I'll be. That's that's uh yeah you you you'd have to be um you, maybe there's a masked singer out there who who wore seventy five. <laughs> I actually reached out to uh, uh, Zito's management, and I, I wanted to, to do a little follow-up on that, and they said he was just too slammed, uh, they, which made me feel like this is the first time I've really reached out to kind of a tough get as a member of The Athletic. You know, I'm used to with SB Nation, everyone being like, yeah, you know, go away, go away, blogger. Um, but with, with I was hoping to get him. I just want to know, you know, as, as one singer-songwriter to another, uh, I just wanted to talk music, talk shop, man. That's all I wanted to do. Maybe he would have taken your interview request and then just yelled spoiler alert as loud as he could into his phone 10 times and hung up on you. <laughs> I wanted to land a helicopter on his lawn like Chris Christopherson did with Johnny Cash uh, and just hand him a demo tape, you know, just listen to my, my, my tunes, man. All right, but we're not here to talk about rhinoceroses singing on, on uh, national TV. We are here to talk about the baseball season and specifically... Is there going to be a baseball season? Like I'm not, I'm not so sure at this point. And I, I wrote about, you know, here's how a 50 game season because that was a, a, a major league baseball proposal is uh, not actually an official proposal, but it was just sort of, hey, what about 50 games? Uh, which I didn't feel was very, on, it wasn't good faith bargaining, but I, you know, I reported on it um, or wrote about it. Uh, but I saw. I thought they want more than fifty games, and now that they've rejected uh, the Major League Baseball Players Association proposal uh, and didn't counter propose anything, I'm wondering if there's going to be a season at all. Well, you know, I, I thought that Emma, the the players' proposal with 114 games was. I mean, I didn't think it was very responsible. Um, you know, that means we're going to have double headers. Um, sure. It means the quality of of play is probably not going to be as good because you're cramming in all these games. So what's the point? I mean, the point is just an exercise for them to make a larger prorated share of their salaries. It, you, you're going to play more games. You're going to have. You're going to move the shift the the postseason and expanded postseason further into, you know, when there could be a, a second big wave of, of of coronavirus potentially if if it acts like many other uh, um, pandemics have. Uh, especially the, the the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918. So it, it's it just seemed to be very irresponsible, and uh, I don't really don't fault the owners at all for just saying, yeah, no, this is we'd have nothing to work with here. Um, but for them to come back and say, you know, hey, we're holding all the cards. You agreed to prorated salaries. You're holding firm to that. Well, fine. We have all of the power and, and the authority and the recourse to set whatever schedule we want and you have to play it. So we're going to set it at 50 games. And that means you're going to make maybe even a little bit less than, than our original proposal. It's it's a, a real giant FU of a, of a, a counter. And, and what's really kind of crazy about this is if they really wanted to be in partnership with each other, wouldn't they get in a Zoom virtual room together and just hammer this out without having to I mean, granted, this is coming from me as a reporter, really admiring the work of our fellow reporters, Ken Rosenthal, Evan Drellick, etc. Um, but do, isn't it bad for both sides to be negotiating this publicly? And as soon as there's something to communicate, you know the union is going out there and communicating with their handpicked six or eight reporters. The same thing with Manfred and the commissioner's office. It's just, I, I just think this is not a good way to do business or to negotiate. Let's pause to tell you about Manscaped. Manscaped is here to make sure you're well-groomed, above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving thanks to their Lawnmower 3.0. 
Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. This third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Shaving is about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance, anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. Would you say it's fair... uh to suggest that in the past, ownership was m- more used to the idea of reporters or journalists or just the media in general sort of taking their side at face value. That I, because that's how it feels like when I was growing up and just a baseball fan. That it was always sort of uh, pro management rather than pro labor in in the press. You know, there were fewer sources and stuff like that. And so that, to me, it almost seems like that's a playbook that they're used to. And and now that the the media landscape has shifted a bit, no one's really sure how to play it. Or is that just me remember misremembering stuff from the '90s and sort of cramming it all in a, a smooth brain? Yeah, no, I I think I'm kind of left with the same general. Um, uh, I, I guess I, I I sort of felt the same themes that 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 you felt. Uh, it seemed like most reporting uh, was pretty much pro um, management, and not a lot of the reporting was pro labor. And some of that is just it's it's harder for um, people to sympathize with you know millionaires playing a game, and they're always going to say the players are overpaid, and it's very easy to draw a logical line between a player's salary and what it costs for me to get a beer and a hot dog at the game. Um, Obviously the players aren't the ones setting those prices. We're not thinking of things like profit margins. We're not thinking of things like franchise values. Um, There's it's, it's very simplistic, but I think it's very ingrained in, in a lot of people that the players are greedy. And, and we just return to that as a narrative again and again and again, as opposed to the players want a fair percentage of the revenues that they're creating. And especially when the owners are private enterprises and don't have to open their books and are not opening their books, it's really hard to know whether they're negotiating in good faith or not. It's hard for even for the players to know. And, um, and so I, I think as I've sort of been in this business and, and, and reported on this industry uh, for as long as I have now, I, I do tend to at first see the player side of things as opposed to management side of things. But I understand for a lot of years why it was very easy for reporters to see things from management side because the players come and go. No matter how great the players are, they're not going to be around in 15 years. Uh, management sticks around and those people will have information that they can get out there and they can use reporters as conduits for that information. And in a lot of ways, those relationships are more important for access journalists to maintain than the ones with players. So uh, you can definitely see how that has uh, sort of led itself to pro-management coverage uh, through you know the 60s, 70s, 80s. And, and really one of the first reporters um, to land on the side of telling the players stories here uh, in, in negotiations was, was Murray Chass, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a guy who has made a lot of enemies and definitely has not gone into retirement um, you know, like a, a grand uh, 
um, you know, celebrated uh, baseball writer, but he was one of the pioneers of, of really covering the labor um, unions and, and covering uh, labor negotiations from more of an all sides vantage point. Um, and I, I don't think he gets enough credit for that, mostly because he acts like a colossal ass most of the time these days. But, uh, but, but you know, it, but it's true. He, he was he was really one of the first to kind of break out of that mold. And and maybe it took somebody who was an iconoclast or didn't care what people thought about him, uh, you know, to to report in a little bit more of an objective way. And I, I feel like this is always going to be the 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 ever present theme when it comes to discussing labor relations and the fans' perspective of it. Is everyone can look at a player and say. Boy, if I had been just a little bit taller, if uh, if I had just a little bit extra on my fastball, or if I had the right coaching, or if I really applied myself, I could have I could have been a professional baseball player. Because boy, I'll tell you, I played I played through high school and I was pretty okay. You know, you can you can kind of see yourself in a player. Uh, I mean, maybe not now that they're like six four and built like Hunter Bishop or whatever. But you know, you you in the past, it's like I I used to play baseball. Whereas you look at a, a billionaire and it's like, I boy, if my dad I'd only had a billion dollars, I'd be a billionaire too. You know, it's harder to, to put yourself in in their position. And I think that's always going to benefit the owners, but I'm not sure. I just, it feels like this time the negotiating in public, I, from the, from my Twitter bubble, from my bubble, it feels as if they're underestimating what I've sensed is a little bit more ability for the public to push back and say, look, I get that they're millionaires. At the same time, I'm not going to villainize them. Or I, I don't know, maybe it's just my Twitter bubble. So for one nanosecond there, I thought you were going to go off into doing the entire Ski Low song. I almost, yeah, you know what? I, that's, I, thought, that's, I thought, I'm like, ooh, are, you, are we going to get a little treat here? Are we going to get a little spoken word grant? Uh, wish I had a source that gave good quotes. I would call her. I mean. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we're old. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, and we've even talked about this. Is is it a possibly a, a – I don't know if you could say it's a good thing, but is is it what we need right now to have baseball? Um, mm. You know, or, or is – would it be the worst thing in the world if they didn't play? I I think it would only be the worst thing in the world as if everyone is in agreement that it is a squabble over money that keeps them off the field. Um, that that that's what would make this so toxic for the sport. Uh, other than that, I I don't think they necessarily need to play. Um, particularly in light of everything that's going on right now. That is an excellent point. It's probably what, what I, I should have led with because, yeah, I, it, it doesn't – it seems like the, the least important thing in the world right now. Uh, it, my only concern is that you have a, a public that sh- – uh, showed how hungry they were for sports because they watched uh, like Peyton Manning hit golf balls uh, with record numbers. And if you've got the NBA coming back um, and they're going to draw numbers, the NFL, I mean, I'm sure they're going to figure out some some way because they've got their uh, their players union just under their thumb usually. I Baseball would lose ground that it's really, I mean – you know, maybe McGuire and Sosa show up in, in 2024, but boy, that's a that's a tall ask. And that that would be like a, an existential concern. But in the short term, in, if you're talking 2020, 
Yeah, it, just for public safety reasons, even, or just, just for safety of the league, rather. Uh, it might not be the worst idea to just see what 2021 brings. It just in terms of you're seeing the problems they're having trying to, to start baseball up in Japan. A couple players test positive, and then you're, you're in a, another hot mess. So maybe 2021 is more realistic. Yeah, that was crazy, too. One of the two players who tested positive for Yomiuri is a Sakamoto, and he is kind of the Derek Jeter of Japanese baseball right now. He was the MVP last year. He's a shortstop for, for Yomiuri, which are, they're the Giants, but they're more akin to the Yankees of Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I went and saw a game at Tokyo Dome um, last, uh, what would that have been, like October, uh, it was in the Climax Series, which is kind of like their ALCS, NLCS, and uh, it was Hanshin Tigers, and they were kind of the upstarts going against um uh, Yomiuri and Sakamoto was the best player on, on Yomiuri's team. They had a couple of really good players. Uh, Maru was their center fielder. He was really impressive. But uh, you look around and there was everyone had Sakamoto jerseys. I mean, he was clearly the most popular guy. So this was this would be like if if Mike Trout basically mm-hmm. um, came down with COVID nineteen. It's it's a big deal there, and and, and obviously it's going to uh, put Japanese baseball on pause just as they were ramping up to start exhibition games. So. Um, and it is still wild for me to think that the last baseball game that I covered, not counting spring training exhibitions, was the Premier 12 tournament at Tokyo Dome in um, in November. It's uh, wow. it, it just seems kind of crazy to think about it that way. Uh, how long ago was that proposal where everyone was going to be isolated from their families? And it, like it, that was just what, two months ago? No, it was, I don't think that was an official proposal either, just just something that was bandied about. But that feels like 16 years ago. It feels like we have uh, sort of gone in through these 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 waves where you start to feel like, okay, well, now California's even saying they would allow sporting events without fans in you know a, a certain time period. Uh, and you're starting to go like, okay, you know, this I see this this coming to the other side. And, the, and now you're starting to, to wonder, is there going to be a second wave before November? Uh, are they going to keep squabbling about money? And then the social unrest, like, it, it, who cares? Uh, I don't know. It just it feels like it, the last three months, and I know this isn't original, but it feels like it's been a year, simul- you know, at, at the same time, it's been like two weeks. Like, I just, I can't process it. Yeah, you're asking me about the passage of time, and I'm like, this is not my strong suit right now, nor do I think is anybody's strong suit right now. But, you know, you understand it, why they had to continually try to come up with, you know, some outlook of a season and how it might work and how the logistics would work, because there's nothing else to do. We've all got to figure it out, and you got to be ready to hit the ground running whenever you do have a green light to move forward. And so... You know, I understand that you know they had to have all of these plans, and those plans were going to constantly evolve and change, and and maybe all of these thought exercises were going to be rendered completely useless based on whatever the virus does next, or or wherever we are next as a country. Um, but I mean, it it kind of had to be done, I guess, just so they could you know be ready to pivot when there was an opportunity to pivot, and. And we still, yeah, like you said, we, we don't know what the next what the next uh, week will bring or what the next you know month will bring or who even knows if a month is a week is a hour is a year at this point. But um, yeah, there there are a lot of hurdles beyond money um, to try to um, get baseball going in a way that's safe and responsible. And uh, um, and, and I also I look at it as if you can't do it 
at least somewhat right, then don't do it. You know, if, if your proposal is to wedge in 114 games and we're playing seven inning double headers and there's a DH in the National League and the game becomes almost re- unrecognizable, let's just not do it. Um, you know, and, and I say this as someone whose livelihood kind of depends on there being games. Um, and I don't think we're at that point, but, um, you know, I, I guess my, my, my thinking of it on it is, you know, it, we can't go into this thinking, any which way we can make baseball happen, we got to do it. Um, I, I, I guess I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. Most of our listeners are in and around the Bay Area. What better way to promote your business than through our show? Our listeners are loyal and engaged, just like you. What better way to advertise your business than on your favorite podcast? To advertise on this very show, just go to www.theathletic.com slash podcast ads. There you can fill out a very simple form. We'll get back to you right away. So go to www.theathletic.com slash podcast ads. www.theathletic.com slash podcast ads today. If it were safe, if it were practical, if everyone could agree, if it were done right, I'm okay with some brand of mutant baseball with like a 16 game season where you're starting Clayton Kershaw every day like he's a quarterback and you're just aping the NFL and it's just horribly horribly deceptive as far as who's good and who's bad I'll, I'll take it you know what I mean as long as everything's done right I'll I'll take these weird abstractions of what baseball is I'm just not sure that it's going to be done right or done for the right reasons uh I that that's my first concern um but I don't know. Like I, I w- I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna squawk about the DH. I'm not gonna squawk about it's, you know, uh, uh, putting asterisks on people who hit 400 over whatever the the truncated season is. Uh, whatever, everyone will look at 2020 in 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 the future from the you know looking back at 2020 and say, yeah, I get it. That was the the Corona year. Like, of course, everything's weird. That's kind of what makes baseball fun is you can take things in context. Um, but I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm an outlier. Maybe they could just make steroids legal. For just this year, <laughs> I, you know, I encourage you to Google. You know, I don't do this often, uh, other than I guess every podcast. But I encourage you to Google one of my old stories uh, where I, I, it was fiction about a home run derby in the future where everyone got to take steroids. And uh, Barry Bonds and and uh, uh, Mark McGuire had this steroid derby, and I was proud of it because it was dumb as hell. Anyway, um, so is, is Phil Hartman going to make an appearance as an East German deadlifter? Uh, oh man! <laughs> if there's anyone here who doesn't know that, I, I don't even. That still makes me uncomfortable to think about. That was one the of the Saturday most Night uncomfortable Live Sunday sketch, Live skit. <laughs> the All Drug Olympics. Oh, that's from, right. Live from Cartagena, Colombia. It's the All Drug Olympics. Oh my goodness, that was a brilliant, brilliant poll. Um, so, getting back to the different proposals. Uh, so it seems to me where you have a Major League Baseball Players Association proposal of 114 games, you have this sort of whispered, bandied about idea of, well, maybe you'll play 50 games. You know, it's, it's, I don't know how serious that is. But when you come in the middle, you get 82 games. Isn't that Probably what if it's going to happen, it's probably going to be 82 games. I know the the, the Players Association said that uh, they weren't thrilled about an 82 game season, but doesn't that seem like the logical endpoint? I think it does. Yes, that seems like a logical endpoint. It seems like, okay, we could kind of take a season, cut it in half, and that's what it would look like. 
Um, the, the part that that is going to be really tough is they're going to have to figure out the money based on that because, you know, if you've got Mike Trout making, you know, eight million of the thirty million he would make under you know completely normal times, um, that I mean that. I, Gosh, that that's a big pay cut for somebody who is mm-hmm. putting themselves out there, and you know, they could be in a situation where they say, "Look, I, I deserve hazard pay, not not to have my pay cut." Um, right, and and they've already agreed that you know, based on prorated salaries, uh, he would Mike uh, Mike Trout would make fifteen million, and you know, you can say it's it's the the league trying to divide the union by. You know, being sort of progressive, I guess, in 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 how they're cutting salaries or how they're asking people to take less than their prorated share, being the guys who are making you know multi millions of dollars. So you're doing it for the you know the good of the you know all of the other players who are more rank and file. But you know, gosh, I just I I, I don't think they're going to be successful in that regard because you know the players have 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 pretty much been in lockstep. Uh, with with the union, this, the, the level of solidarity has, has not really waned over the years. And, you know, there was the last CBA where I think they took their eye off the ball and the players were a little more concerned with, you know, uh, creature comforts than making sure they got, you know, the the, the slice of the revenue pie that was uh, supposed to go their way. But, um, you know, I, I don't think you, you're going to have a lot of success in a negotiation where you're pitting one player from one sort of class against another player you know who is making multi millions. I think that they're all they're all pretty much in it together, and um, and it does it, it, it. If if Mike Trout is going to make you know eight million instead of fifteen million, I want to know what Rob Manfred's pay cut is because it better be a bigger percentage than that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good point. All right. So, were you of the belief like I was that absent you know as of February? I was expecting there to be a strike or a lockout before the 2020 season. Uh, the CBA is going to expire, I think. Or I'm sorry, the, the 2022 season. The, the CBA is going to expire uh, December 1st, 2021. And I just assumed it was all ramping up to a strike or a lockout before the 2022 season. Just because I, I, the imbalance between what young players are, are paid and the way teams are acting you know, to acquire those young players at the expense of veterans, the imbalance just wasn't going to stand. Is A, were you thinking that as well? And B, do you think that the owners are willing to give up 2020 as sort of like an opening salvo so that they can come back and avoid those tough conversations about paying young players more, uh, maybe whether it's fewer arbitration years before they reach for agency or, or what have you? Is, is this like just a long-term strategy to avoid what I thought was inevitable? Yeah, I hate to be a pessimist, but I kind of think that it's an, I think it is inevitable because, you know, the, the, the what really got the uh, the rancor up was free agency the offseason before last and if you thought that was bleak wait until free agency this offseason mm. i mean i guess do we still call it an offseason if there's no season um, right. but i who's who's going to spend money who's going to be ready to to lavish multi-millions uh, dollar contracts on on players who who haven't played in a year um, I, I think someone will will be opportunistic and, and sign Mookie Betts, obviously. But boy, man, if, if you're a Kevin Pillar out there, or or if you're you know a, a player who's worked really hard to get to free agency, and, and and you were scared by two off seasons ago, just just wait to see what awaits you after there's been a whole year where where teams have 
you know, taken a revenue hit and, and taken losses and, and are furloughing people and laying people off. And um, yeah, boy, it's, I, I can't imagine that, that that is going to um, help the situation at all, that, that, that that'll end up being the environment going into, um, you know, the, the sunset of the CBA and, and the negotiations that will precede the next one. This isn't like a secret, but it, it's just the wedge has grown so much. And it, when it comes to young players, on average, are the best players. They are the players who are going to be hurt the, le- the, the least. They are going to be the players who are in their mid-20s. And then you have the alternate part of that, which is young players are going to be paid less than veterans. And so when you bring those two together, it makes so much sense for someone who's working on the mark, you know, who's who's trying to figure out how to build a good baseball team. That's just those truisms are going to define how you're going to build a baseball team. And you're not thinking about, well, you know, the veterans waited their turn and you're not thinking about you're just thinking looking on at a spreadsheet and saying, so you're telling me the best players are paid the least amount of money, which would give me money to spend on the small group of veterans who might help my team. Uh, that's just how GMs and owners especially think. And there's no coming back from that unless you change the idea that the young players are paid the least. That's, that's just you got to change that. And that's where the Players Association was coming from, I think, or was going to come from. And they were going to come at it pretty darn hard. And I just don't know how the how it's going to play now where you're already dealing with just this mess of starting the season at all. I'm not sure if that argument is is going to be as elevated as it was before all this started. Sure. And, and I think what's going to have to happen is the players are going to, you know, we talk about get to free agency after five years instead of six. I, I think what's going to be even more important is that they shave off the arbitration clock and, yeah. and you get to arbitration after two years instead of super two, um, you know, so that you actually start, if you put up, you know, Mike Trout numbers uh, and you're 24 years old in your first year of arbitration, you hit it after two full seasons, you're going to get paid a lot more. And um, you know, I think that's where uh, that's where the the players need to start working toward, and th- that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to get concessions on the free agent side and the arbitration side. I also think that they should try to eliminate some of these options, minor league options. Try to whittle that down so that teams can't just bounce guys up and down. Because what kind of existence is that when when you're a, a I, think of the first person off my head, like a George Contos a couple of years. And he was optioned like eight times in one season. I mean, what, what kind of life is that when you're constantly getting up at 4 a.m. to get on flights in Fresno to connect somewhere else to meet the team in Cincinnati to sit there for two days and then go right back down? I mean, that's you talk about creature comforts and quality of life. I mean, that's just uh, kind of ridiculous. Um, so there, I think there's a lot of different things that I think the players would want to accomplish. Um, but you know, when you go in with a, with a long list, you, you're not going to get everything on it. Uh, you may not get anything on it. Um, but uh, but I think it is time for the players to for sure um, try to get their way into arbitration earlier, get to free agency earlier. Because as you mentioned, the game's not coming back from from this way of, of treating players. And it's it's not only how they're compensating players and who they choose to, to invest money in, but it's also the entire thrust of player development. I mean, there's a massive acceleration in let's get guys to the big leagues faster. Um, and, and so they're younger. Uh, and, and I think that the whole thing is geared to, uh, you know, let, let's be more efficient in, 
in our, our compensation packages. All right. Last and final prediction. Pull it from the nether regions. Is there a baseball season and how many games? Oh, boy. Um, wow. It's a tough one. I, You know, I I think there will be a season. I, I How many games? Hmm. Can I take a range? I think it's going to be more than yeah. 50. I think it'll be less than, than 80. So, somewhere in that range. That's exactly, you know, because I, I go back and forth. I, I'd say 30% of the time I'm thinking, no, no way. No season, no season at all. It's just that there are too many hurdles to clear. Uh, but if there is, and that this is the majority of times, 70, 70% of the time I'm thinking, all right, it'll 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 be 80 games, 82 games at the max. But, you know, what? They'll, they'll figure out how to get some games in there. Just to just to keep the sport in, in the the public eye, just to get some revenue, uh, you know they're not going to lose revenue. I don't think. Uh, maybe maybe I'm being naive, but I I don't think they're going to lose revenue by playing sixty games, seventy games. I I think they'll. I don't know. Maybe I'm being naive, um, but I I don't think I've received a refund on my Major League Baseball uh, TV subscription. Have, have you? No, uh, I don't. I, or or the uh, or the at bat app. Um, my parents and, haven't received a refund on the uh, season tickets. You know what I mean? Like they, they've got some money in the bank. I don't know. And, uh, you know, you've got the, the sports uh, fees that go with um, the rights holders, too, on your cable bill if you have cable. Um, and that's not an inconsequential amount of money. Um, so, yeah, no, that, that money's not uh, – not being returned. I did get like $6 back from my auto insurance uh, company. Oh, that's that's nice. Yeah, my uh, The softball league that my girls are, are in that, I, that I'm a coach for, uh, they just said the season was canceled today and they're going to refund half my money. And I'm kind of like, no, 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 keep keep it. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. you guys, you guys are going to need that. I just feel awful. Whereas, you know, the, the Giants are like, oh, we, uh, Appreciate your patience. We're just going to sit on this uh, season ticket money. And not just the Giants, but everyone. You know what I'm saying. All yes. right. Well, this this has been episode 74 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back on Monday. And is it okay to tease what we're going to talk about on Monday? We can. Yeah. Uh, you've been writing about nemeses, which are the players, random players who end up doing well against legends or or against tough circumstances. And you you want to tease real quick what your one of your favorite nemeses? Nemesis, uh, nemesis Yes. So I basically tried to look at the, the players in baseball history that ha- were elite at a skill and find the person who was the best at sort of containing that skill. So uh, there was a story about the catcher who had the best caught stealing percentage against Ricky Henderson. Uh, there uh, is a story about um, the, the pitcher who's faced Ichiro the most times without giving up a hit. There was another one on Pete Rose. Um, and sometimes these samples are not that big. Pete Rose was pretty darn good. Um so I talked to the reliever who can make the claim about uh, doing the best to neutralize the greatest offensive force in modern baseball history, Barry Bonds, over the time that he was the absolute, you know, a supernova of offensive output. Uh, so I talked to him and he told me exactly what he did to get Barry Bonds out, told me a couple of really funny stories, and uh, that one is going to... We'll post next. And friends, when Andy told me he was doing this series and I looked up uh, kind of simultaneously, I was like, oh, I wonder who he's going to get for for this one. And when I saw the name, friends, I giggled. 
I giggled out loud. It is great. Um, okay, so we will be back on Monday to talk about that. I'd like to thank Tanika Smothers for producing and doing a great job doing it. And thank you for listening. See you later.